Hello and welcome to a new series of our YouTube and podcast, citiesabc.com. My name is Dinesh Guarda and we are here again to talk about ideas and the biggest challenge and opportunities that uh, we are facing um, our humanity and our cities and as well our infrastructure and organizations, especially when it comes to the relationships with technology, with digital transformation, AI, blockchain, the foundational technologies of the fourth industrial revolution, and as well about our new society 5.0, Genesis and Inception. In this series, we've been interviewing and profiling global CEOs, experts, authors, governmental officials, and more and more increasing people that are really making a difference using technology or using policies or thought leadership and research to come up with new solutions, but as well uh, finding ways of looking at business and infrastructure, financial and cities in a better way. This podcast and series is part of the citiesabc.com platform that is a fast growing ecosystem um, that is quite new and it was created uh, uh, in the follow-up of the COVID-19 crisis, but as well creating and listing cities and creating infrastructure for them, and as well trying to connect the different organizations, cities and the data and the operations. Today we have with us Shamir Taba, that is a serial entrepreneur turned business leader and the passionate in building highly efficient and performing teams, especially focused on high-profile uh, cutting-edge technologies, innovation and immersion 360 uh, different IT systems. Shamir Taba uh, is an expert and as well uh, journalistic, as you say, in terms of AI and blockchain, and has been as well working in some cutting edge projects with the company uh, Akubits, where he is the chief strategy officer and as well the CEO for Middle East and Africa. And uh, of course, in Akubits is already a massive company worldwide with infrastructure that had put a satellite on the space and has been working with the leading organizations like governments, intelligence agencies, and major corporations. And as well, they've been doing some of the cutting edge solutions in terms of blockchain and AI. As well, with 12 years of experience, Shamir has been looking at new challenges as well a thought leader, mentor to companies, and as well, he's been uh, an author that has published a book on the impact of IT on the financial sector during the financial crisis, which is quite interesting, given the fact that you're going for an all, a new financial crisis with COVID-19. So we'll touch about that. And as well, it's been, um, and is a global expert recognized in the areas of blockchain, artificial intelligence, tokenomics, and human experience, especially when it comes to user interface, technology, and as well, the relationships that touch these. So it's a pleasure to have you here, Shamir. I'm looking forward for this interview and talk. Thank you, Dennis, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your uh, program as well. So, um, well, there's a lot of things to talk. And I think in your case, uh, you are doing some of the things that I really am excited, especially the areas of cutting edge solutions and technology. But as well, you have a quite broad uh, background from India to Singapore and to Middle East. So let's start by your background, by your education, which is as well very multicultural. And I think it's particularly important because I, I see more and more people that are really quite successful have to have this multicultural background and as well a capacity to look at different cultures, different layers, and as well to learn a lot of new things that are continuously changing. So first question about you, background, overview and education. Sure, and I think you're spot on. I mean, truly today with, uh, you know, the borders becoming lesser and lesser evident and the world becoming a one 
smaller place, multicultural, uh, being multicultural kind of plays a key role, even in corporate environments. The background about me, I grew up in the Middle East, uh, spent a lot of my time in Bahrain, uh, graduated in engineering, computer engineering from India, uh, started my work with one of the top uh, IT firms for about two years and then decided to pursue my business degree from SPJN uh, in Singapore. So I uh, spent about a year in Singapore, graduated during the financial crisis um, and then worked for uh, a multinational base in China. So that was uh, an interesting um, tenure that I worked, you know, uh, maybe with uh, the sports organization. So this was a company that was a design supplier for the Beijing Olympics and later on the London Olympics. So that was more of my first stint into the entrepreneurial uh, venture, more of an entrepreneurial venture where, we, where I was actually assigned to set up their operations in India. Uh, so as, as a fresh B-School graduate, that was a very interesting and exciting opportunity. Um, and it actually got me right into understanding, you know, how bureaucracy works, working with politicians, because we were primarily working on uh, government deals. Um, so that was how I got into working Pan-India. Um, and at the same time, we had interesting uh, opportunities happening in the social media domain. So this was before the time when AI became mainstream. Um, me and my alumni from uh, our B school, um, you know, basically launched a new interesting startup, uh, which is basically looking at social media monitoring. And this is again, you know, before everything became mainstream. Uh, we, we had a good exit at the time. Um, and, you know, we had the big guys in this domain, uh, the likes of Salesforce and Sysomos coming into the space. So we, we kind of got out of that domain at the right time. Uh, so that was my venture into the second, you know, entrepreneurial field. Um, and then uh, I had another startup, which was uh, mainly looking at relying on some of my past experience, again, in tech and social media to kind of build a platform that would help uh, consumers basically make decisions instantaneously using all of their data. So again, that was mining, uh, you know, data records, trying to build a social taste graph. Um, so we, we had a good stint, but unfortunately the timing and the market from where we were launching weren't appropriate. So that got me back into the Middle East. Um, I'm currently in Dubai. I've been operating out of Dubai for the last seven odd years. Um, and, you know, we, we basically have been doing a couple of other businesses. There was one company that uh, I exited about three years ago, uh, which was mainly looking at customer experience solutions. Um, so we were trying, again, uh, I think all, all of the journey that I've had is relying on what I've done in the past and kind of adapting it to the needs of the present and the future. So this particular company was looking at helping, um, you know, large audiences navigate their way in, inside venues. So it's, it's about wayfinding digital customer experience solutions. And there was a common link throughout my entrepreneurial journey. I was associated with a company from the very inception uh, in terms of, you know, supporting, developing all the engineering tasks that were required. So building new technologies, be it wayfinding, customer experience, AI conversational tools, and that was Acubits. So today uh, I'm proud to say that I've seen, you know, different facets uh, as a client, a partner, 
to Acubeds. And today, uh, I hold the position of the CEO for the Middle East and African market and the chief strategy officer for Acubeds. Um, and to me, again, it's, it's uh, very fundamental to what my core vision is uh, while being an entrepreneur and you know, having a common vision for the company, which is why I decided to kind of you know, join hands. Um, so Acubits as a company has seen phenomenal growth from its inception over the last seven to eight years now, uh, mainly focusing on emerging tech. So the company started working with federal government entities in the U.S., name it uh, United States Postal Service, NASA, USGS, and built on top of that capability, building custom AI platforms as well as blockchain systems. So we got involved with blockchain pretty early on. Um, and this fundamentally, you know, the company is, is quite unique in the sense that it has a very uh, big, hairy, audacious goal, which is the core vision with which we operate, which is 7 billion creative minds. And the idea behind that is that we truly believe that any technology, especially emerging tech in AI or blockchain, has the capability to liberate humans from, you know, the repetitive and mundane tasks so that they can, you know, focus on much larger problems. And that's where we believe in the 7 billion creative minds. So with that in mind, you know, every project that we've touched till date has either the capacity to transform lives or touch a billion people. That's the kind of projects that we intake. So when you mentioned about the ChainSat project, which is the enterprise satellite blockchain project that we launched, that's again, one of our Moonshot projects. So that's been my journey uh, over the last uh, 12, 13 years now. Uh, and I'm, quite enjoying the ride. It's been, uh, it's, had, it's had its fair share of ups and downs going through the financial crisis, but I think every step has literally made me who I am today. Brilliant. That's quite a wonderful ride that you've been having. And it's really impressive what you guys have been doing, both your personal profile and the COVIDs, because not a lot of companies can actually put a satellite on space, but actually in blockchain, which is quite uh, well, another, another massive achievement. So I think before we go to Akubits, I would like to, so from your background and especially from India to uh, Singapore where you study as well and as well in Middle East, this is kind of very innovative uh, environments. I think India is becoming the second world largest economy in the world probably in the next 10, 20 years. And it's already in terms of size, the biggest market in the planet. But as well, Singapore is considered the most innovative country in the world, although very small, but in terms of innovation and performance by far, and as well, one of the leading financial centers, and as well, blockchain centers, and as well, Middle East, which is kind of a, especially Dubai has been a kind of a effervescent uh, environment with the ups and downs, but as well with the capacity to create a city in the middle of the desert. So from these environments, what would be your takeaways? Because I, I, I know that it's quite... I know there's a huge Indian community in Middle East, but, uh, but at the same time, from India to Singapore to Dubai and Middle East is quite a big different background. So a bit of that background, I would like to hear that, that history of your personal, uh, I would say your personal narrative on that. And as only a person, just understanding of these cultures and countries. I think each region has its, you know, fair share of advantages as well as, you know, kind of limitations to be more precise. So Singapore has been uh, a phenomenal market, especially when it comes to fintech startups, ecosystems, venture capital, 
Um, and it, it's definitely a melting pot for different cultures. Um, and it's good, especially when you're looking at product development to kind of imbibe some of the needs of consumers um, and look at, you know, how you can actually get different perspectives when you build products, especially for the ASEAN market. And that's been quite interesting when we built the social media marketing or social media monitoring platform. India, on the other hand, like you said, is, is, uh, is a massive opportunity because there are so many problems that you can actually identify that you can solve. And there are so many creative ways of solving these problems. Um, and that's, that's one of the most interesting aspects about India. And over the last, I would say about 10 years, we've seen a radical transformation in the ecosystem, especially in the startup ecosystem. There's been a, a real drive towards encouraging, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit. So there's, there's different ecosystems spread across different parts of the country that actually accelerate and, and nurture this uh, startup community. So we, we see a lot of uh, student entrepreneurs coming today. I mean, obviously, there's, there's a lot of learning. There's, there's failed startups. There's successful unicorns. Um, even in the edtech domain, I mean, there's uh, even during the pandemic, there's a, a massive success, especially in, in the edtech domain. So one of the startups, um, you know, literally the most valued startup in the edtech community called Baiju's raised 400 million just during the pandemic. Um, and so that, that just, you know, goes on to show that, you know, anything can happen, especially if you look at sheer scale of what is capable in India. So it, you know, the way that I look at it, um, India actually lets you to uh, build communities and startups which can actually, uh, you know, stand the test of time. You know, there's, there's a lot of challenges building communities or startups in India. Um, you know, when it comes to talent and when it comes to validating your product. What's interesting about UAE and Dubai, for instance, and I, I'm sure you would understand this, Dubai has seen a massive transformation in just over the last 10, 15 years. And that's primarily due to the amazing vision, visionaries that we have as the rulers of Dubai. Um, and to me, Dubai is, is a great opportunity to actually test new technologies as, uh, you know, they're quite, uh, you, know, you know, forthcoming when it comes to implementing and taking on new uh, opportunities. Um, and again, when I say this, it, it really drives down from the rule, ruler and the, and the basic vision that the country has. For instance, uh, we're one of the few countries that have actually got a blockchain strategy in place for Dubai. And there's a paperless strategy which is already set in motion. We've seen the results. We've had, you know, 14 entities and government organizations that have reported a 64% drop in the use of paper by just going paperless. Um, and we're proud to say that, you know, we've been one of the first companies to actually deploy the first ever blockchain projects in the, um, in the UAE. Um, so we, we were closely working with uh, the Dubai Land Department in terms of uh, putting the land registry on blockchain. Although this may not be the first uh, of its kind, you know, we've done a couple of POCs, but this is the actual production grade project that, uh, you know, we've, we've been part of associated with some of the government entities. Now that is quite impressive. So I, I want to start with the, um, before we go to the blockchain and the COVID, so your experience in, in, in social media, and I think social media is particularly important because social media was the first really massive adoption of the internet. And it was the first stage as well of 
gathering data, managing data, and as well starting to to have the impact in society that we have right now, probably social media, e-commerce in particular. So, and as well as the base as well, when it comes to blockchain and all the different technologies right now, of course, if you look at the blockchain as the internet of trust, the social media, of course, is still a critical element. So from your experience in, in especially social media and all the inter- interactive area of consumer data and different areas, how do you see that evolution from that angle right now to the inception of blockchain that is becoming right now mainstream? Because that's, I think it's a particularly important narrative that I think sometimes when I speak about blockchain, you forget that. And I think your background on that is particularly interesting because it's still the most important, let's say 90% of our time is probably in social media and messaging system, which is social media in itself. And blockchain is just creating a layer of trust around that. But how do you see that evolution of the internet and especially social media to the blockchain and of course AI. You know, in fact, uh, when you look at that, it's, you know, it, it, I think we got to go back to the internet, the, you know, when the internet came about, so the internet was a massive revolution. I mean, we were probably, I mean, I was in school when the internet came about and, uh, you know, the, the opportunities that that brought about was phenomenal and brought about the transformation. I would say 1.5 is what social media did. So social media actually brought together people from different parts of the world to be able to communicate, to share, you know, content and media. And that actually opened up, uh, you know, other opportunities as well. Uh, it actually inspired other business opportunities. Blockchain to me is, you know, 2.0. And that really is the next wave of technology. So because what it does is it literally, you know, like you said, you know, bring uh, opportunities to a trustless economy. And, um, you know, I think it's a gradual progression. Like you said, blockchain is a layer on, on, on top of these existing technologies and platforms that allows us to do what previously could not have been imagined. So we see a lot of opportunities in, in you know, fintech, in, uh, you know, document management, in terms of uh, validations, verifications. You know, if you think about, uh, you know, fintech, for instance, or just finance, for instance, what decentralized finance can do in terms of, you know, opening up the opportunities and kind of replacing what traditional finance and, you know, instruments do today is phenomenal. It's actually giving the same equal opportunity to anyone that possibly could not have even had access to such financial systems simply because, you know, you had to pay, you know, a lump sum to the intermediaries involved in this entire chain. Um, so I think it's, it's got a massive transformation and, and social media, like you said, you know, if you t- take crypto projects today, you got to market yourself, you got to get the word out. Social media is a brilliant platform to do that. Today, we're seeing interesting opportunities in social media platforms as well, where you can actually run, uh, you know, completely decentralized organizations with the power of social media. So you can actually communicate, you can network, you can completely have a, a, you know, employee architecture, which is completely decentralized. And I think social media has a key role in, in terms of doing that. I mean, today in the pandemic world where we're all at home, so remotely working, we couldn't imagine, uh, you know, being huddled up, uh, completely devoid of social media. Uh, completely. So, so I think on, on that level, and I think coming back uh, right now to, to Akubits and what you guys are doing. So like you said, you, you've been 
been doing some of the first big cases in terms of blockchain worldwide, like uh, you mentioned the land registration in Dubai, but as well as other projects, and you've been working with the, the likes of NASA and the, the US government and so forth. So what would be, let's say, from the maturity of the blockchain technology that mostly started as, as its first proof of concept was mostly from the Bitcoin to the crypto and as well all the ICO industry until all these coins that right now we have 6,000 coins plus and, and the market cap of $400 billion still or close to that. So what would be, how do you see this evolution of, first of all, of the technology, but as well of the ecosystem? Because you guys are part of both. Uh, I know that you're more on the technology side, but you have as well a strong, of course, the two things are interrelated. So just on the technology side, because you have the, both the technological, the financial, and as well the, the governmental logical, which most of the people, sometimes they separate the crypto and the blockchain, and very few people can actually mix the two things and understand as well the 360 part of this. So we've actually gone through that journey, like we know exactly like what he mentioned, you know, in the early days, people could not kind of distinguish or segment, you know, blockchain from crypto. Uh, since we work a lot with the governments as well as with large institutions, we had the experience of having to kind of educate and help them understand that you can have a blockchain platform without a crypto aspect to it. Um, and that, that took time, but Today, we're seeing that awareness is there. So there's a fair maturity in the marketplace. People understand this concept fairly well. It isn't uh, you know, something which is futuristic. It's there today. We have seen live implementations in production-grade projects where we're seeing re actual results. So today, we've come to a point where you know, it's not a Bitcoin blockchain. We understand that there are frameworks that are you know, relevant for different projects. Uh, so if it's a remittance-based solution, if it's something about credentialing, uh, authentication, or if it's just about a general ledger, you can have a DLT project without being a blockchain project as well. So that's, that's the understanding that uh, is fairly available. And people understand those concepts truly better now. Um, you know, from an adoption perspective, we're seeing, uh, you know, different sorts of implementations, be it in track and trace solutions for food, coffee, you know, supply chain, logistics. Uh, in fact, one of our earlier projects in uh, supply chain uh, for, for a large conglomerate based out of Indonesia, uh, we won a uh, an award from Frost and Sullivan on that particular project. Um, that's, that's been one of our very early implementations on a large scale with a, with a consortium. Um, and, you know, initially we used to think that, you know, for any blockchain project to work, you, you typically have a consortium involved because it, it's, it's generally, you know, how these projects work. And it, it is when you're talking about a public blockchain. But there are real use cases for permissioned enterprise-level blockchains as well. Um, so the kind of projects that we've done at a government scale, even here in, in UAE, for instance, have been mostly permissioned blockchain networks. Um, and, and, you know, for one of the use cases that we've done, for instance, in Singapore is uh, an authentication or credentialing system for universities and uh, schools. Um, so the product is called AccuCerts. It's a permissioned uh, blockchain platform that helps universities issue their certificates uh, on the network. 
So that, that is all fantastic case studies and as well amazing achievements. But one of the, the challenges that I've been facing working with governments and as well with a lot of entities is that first of all is the perception around the blockchain technology and second, the scalability of a lot of these operations. So I think the, the vision of the master vision of blockchain and all the evangelists like ourselves is as well to create a world that has better connectivity, more internet of trust, and as well better capacity. But at the moment, we have a very fragmented world, or we have, for instance, actually even the paradox of the Chinese government that launched its own digital currency more advanced than anything in the planet. And then, of course, Dubai, where you are, there is probably the most advanced uh, old strategy for government in terms of blockchain and even AI. But then you have most of governments, even big governments, big countries that have no clue. Um, so how do you see this kind of, first of all, the, the connection between all the dots of this kind of solutions that companies like yours are building and as well very successful with their lack of digital transformation? And I think, of course, we, when it comes to digital transformation, there's a lot of areas that is even more basic than, than, than actually blockchain, which is too advanced for that. Because for instance, if you're looking at just a very basic uh, number is that there's 450 million SMEs in the world. And most of the data shows that around 80% don't even have a website. So it starts mm -hmm. by that. So I would like, and as well, of course, this goes, to, like you said, the replacement of paper that costs millions of dollars and as well is very polluted. And as well, like a lot of studies say that, for instance, even the notes that we use of money are passing a lot of germs, a lot of issues, especially right now with pandemic that gets even more attention. But how do you see this, especially this scalability? Because I think for me, the challenge is how do you make these mainstream but as well that the data passes with each other and avoids all the problems that we have like fake news and as well all these conspiracy crazy myths and stuff like that that are proliferating more than ever um so it's, it's a lot of questions part for the question but i i would hear a bit uh, hear your thoughts on this It is a challenge. It is definitely a challenge to do this. In fact, um, you know, that, that's exactly the concern that if you talk to, you know, a large enterprise or even a government organization, they're concerned about a lot of things, you know, they're concerned about, you know, who owns the data, uh, how, how is our data going to interoperate or, or can, you know, communicate with another enterprise? Um, and, and, you know, who, who has a responsibility of actually hosting the node? Um, so th these are some of the questions that come about. And I think, um, you know, even before that, you got to take a step back. So uh, the, the key word that you mentioned is digital transformation. These are digital transformation initiatives. And for uh, when you talk to any government, the challenge starts even before that, because most of the systems, if you look at it from an IT perspective, are legacy systems. So you got to start with actually, you know, working on those legacy systems and make it, uh, you know, future ready and even before you can actually have an implementation of blockchain on it. And these are, these are real world problems. Um, and when we face that in multiple projects as well, so that's, that's step one. Step two is about interoperability. I and mean, everyone's talking about interoperability, you know, um, there's been, you know, it's, it's a fast evolving technology, but I think there's still a lot of distance to tread before, you know, it can actually be ported into action for a mainstream purpose, you know, such as a large, supply chain management, secure data sharing, and other processes. There's still a long way to go in that aspect. 
there are a lot of projects uh, that focus on uh, interoperability. Um, one of the things that, you know, what I've seen governments kind of uh, take on, for instance, um, an example, case in point, which is uh, Dubai Smart Government, they've actually evaluated different uh, platforms and have kind of um, endorsed or, or, you know, uh, chosen a platform that all government organizations in Dubai have to use if they have a blockchain implementation. So they're kind of creating a uniformity in terms of implementing um, you know, any project so that they can interoperate. But at the same time, I think uh, in, uh, interoperability is something that needs to be looked at. Like you said, you know, having um, a common uh, protocol or a layer through which you can actually communicate. We have our own orchestration and you know, interoperability platform that uh, you know, kind of solves the problem to a fair degree between certain uh, blockchain frameworks. Uh, so that's that's something that I think is is probably the way forward. At least till we figure out, you know, is there a universal solution for all this? Yeah, that could put it. And I think this this especially interoperability and as well the data connection is the biggest challenge because at the moment most of the data is is mostly in the hands of a few tech providers, which mostly are five or six. And, and for instance, even this week that Apple reached $2 trillion valuation, which is more than all the, FC, F, the FTC uh, companies in the exchange. So it, it's kind of a paradox that we have right now. And of course, that, that shows as well how powerful these companies are, are becoming, even our companies. But that the challenge is, how can we make this not to create another disruptive and um, this topic uh, society. So that, that brings me to the question related, uh, and I want to talk more about Akubits, but before going there, to your book. I think your book is particularly interesting. Um, as a, a paradox, it was written in the last financial crisis, uh, and it's precisely touching the areas of um, uh, how the relationship of I, impact of IT in the financial sector during the financial crisis. And as well, what is interesting, if you look at the last almost 10 years, Oh, actually, more than 10 years, 13 years since, since it was the last financial crisis. And right. at the moment, we're going through a massive, uh, it's a different crisis because the last one was a bit crazy. Uh, this one is not created by greediness, it's created by pandemic. But it's accelerating a lot of digital transformation because governments are obliged. And for instance, even I was just reading before this interview, I, I think the the four trillion office business worldwide, uh, which is more probably than four, because if you put all the things, it's being disrupted because a lot of companies don't ask people to come back anymore to office. Um, mm -hmm. It's completely being disrupted. So this is kind of a, let's say, if at the time of your study was the financial crisis. Now, uh, now we're having a kind of a different shift from the present uh, kind of template of society where people can work remotely thanks to technology. And thanks to IT uh, that has been evolving uh, at a massive pace. And as well, even during the, all this crisis, we have to see that even the world working from home didn't collapse. So we're still going and right. things are moving. So we need to look at the positive side. So how do you see this kind of evolution, especially with your book? And I would like to hear about that at the time and a bit of the parallel right now. So that book was actually uh, focused, I mean, you know, during the whole financial crisis of 2008 um, because of the subprime mortgage and it, it was a massive uh, hit on various economies. And that book was primarily focused on looking at how the decisions IT managers took within their corporates 
impacted their organizations and what kind of decisions should they be actually looking at uh, as an impact of you know this whole financial crisis so it had a very you know a lens through which we actually looked at corporations and you know how they can actually safeguard you know their business operations for the future um but it was quite interesting you know uh, the different perspectives that we came across and that that was the highlight of that book uh but today you know with the pandemic uh there are people that are calling you know covid-19 as a black swan event unfortunately it isn't a black swan event and we know i mean if you talk to any epidemiologist or virologist we know that there's a sequence of how these outbreaks happen and it is something which is predicted that would happen every couple of years uh this isn't a black swan event at all um and you know what what this has really done is to basically expose the weaknesses of organizations governments as well right it just tells us that we're not prepared so what it has done is accelerated you know uh you know the, the the weak points in 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 what we have today and basically exposed you know everyone to actually take actions um so companies that survive you know these challenges or you know make amends and quickly kind of uh pivot around are definitely going to have far better success in the forthcoming future and you know like you said you know it's it's actually completely done a paradigm shift for us and the companies that are actually thinking about letting go of their corporate offices because it's no longer required they've seen productivity increases in their employees uh were able to do fairly well uh you know working remotely um the i know of companies that have actually let go of uh, at least five different floors within their office spaces they're quite comfortable operating the way they are um tcs for instance a large uh, it firm based in india is said that they would um have only about 25% of their employees actually work from their offices in the next 3 uh, to 5 years and that's a ground reality um you know from from an employee perspective or from a corporate perspective this does have few challenges you know how do you actually manage your employees working remotely there's there's a new way of thinking about corporate management or employee management these days um it's it's quite interesting and and i think uh i mean to look at the positive side of this is that you know we are going to be better prepared corporations are going to be better prepared and uh if if you aren't prepared now it's 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 some it's a wake up call because this covid-19 is not going anywhere it's going to it's something that we probably have to live with for the next uh, you know couple of months now probably a year schooling and education has completely changed uh children are now you know uh forced to you know basically study from homes that has actually driven up uh the need for video conferencing solutions edtech products and solutions so it's quite interesting i mean just acubits for instance we um what we did in the light of covid was to actually look at how we can respond to it not just internally but also externally so one of our divisions basically launched a product and we're, we're quite proud of uh, our team to do that because they actually worked you know literally 24 hours round the clock to actually pull off something like this it's a full fledged pandemic management system called rebuild the chain mainly focused at helping government organizations to actually uh, look beyond contact tracing and exposure and analysis which is just human to human but also human to surface to human exposure analysis and basically manage the pandemic from an end to end perspective so these are the kind of innovations that we're seeing happening both internally externally and and you know i think that's that's a massive opportunity that we should all kind of adapt i mean there are two ways to look at 
such instances. And that's, some, that's one of the learnings that we had even during the 2008 crisis. There are two things that you can do. You can either shrink or expand. And it is a bold step. It's a risk-based move. Uh, but you need to mitigate your risks. You need to plan for those risks. And I think if you're able to kind of expand during uh, such, a, such a challenging time, uh, you have the ability to come, come out stronger than before. Yeah, that's a, that will be a big thing. So, so I think now I would like to go a bit more technical. So um, you just touched, of course, blockchain and how blockchain um, can have a weight and a bigger weight in, in a lot of different areas, including the future of work or the present of work, because it's becoming the present. And as well, some of the work you did in terms of big scale, like the project of um, Indonesia, the satellite uh, that you guys put on space. So do you want to talk about these projects? Because I, I think it's interesting because... I think uh, there's still a lot of, uh, like we mentioned before, myths around the technology of blockchain, but as well people, let's say a lot of people, even blockchain experts, they talk all about the common sense stereotypes and they forget right now really case studies. And I think what you guys have been doing is really impressive. And I think it's important to highlight that just, just explaining in a simple way, of course, um, what you guys have been doing, especially I would like to hear about your experience with the satellites as well with the Indonesia and as well with the land registration. If you just use these three case studies and if you want to, of course, bring another case study, I think it's interesting to listen how you guys put this working because I think it's important even for other companies and organizations and governments around the world to look at this. So uh, let me start off with the Indonesian project. So this is a large conglomerate uh, that is basically into manufacturing of tires, but they have their own, uh, you know, NBFCs, banks that actually provide financial assistance to, you know, the wholesalers, retailers. Um, they have their own distribution arms as well. So it, you know, it's typically like a consortium project, but within the same ecosystem. So it'd be fairly easy to implement. Um, so that was uh, basically a blessing in disguise for us. Um, but, you know, what we did for them was to basically ensure a full traceability of the entire supply chain and, and look at, you know, how value is being created along the entire chain. So basically show the provenance of uh, the material from the uh, element level down to the entire distribution. So, you know, exactly where a raw ingredient had come in from, at what price, um, and also help in terms of, uh, you know, trade finance. So there's an aspect where you had um, a trade finance component where, you know, a supplier needed financial assistance and that process of loan application or getting the financial assistance from a bank, which usually used to take about, you know, 24 to 35 days on average was now made near real time because they could easily assess what was the supply chain, what is the, uh, you know, kind of um, flow of deals uh, that this particular supply had, they had complete transparency in this ecosystem, and so they could basically assess the credit lines that particularly that particular supplier required. So this was a very interesting project where we could actually see the tangible benefits of a blockchain implementation. Um, with uh, Dubai Land Department, I mean there are a couple of different use cases uh, that they're looking at. One of them that has actually gone live is to actually put the uh, land title deeds, or it's called a developer use case, where you know an investor purchases a piece of land or an asset. Uh, you needed to actually put that title deed 
on the network so that you could actually show the provenance or you know how this actual asset has actually transferred from you know one owner to the other and you have a fair market value for it as well so this was one of the uh, i would say very ambitious and very interesting projects that the dubai land department had taken uh, alongside uh, their it subsidiary which is eris and we were part of that ecosystem to actually build this for them so today uh, they've actually done more than i think about 75000 transactions to my knowledge when we last uh, worked on that particular use case um, so they have onboarded a couple of banks and a couple of developers to pilot this particular uh, use case there are other use cases as well which includes a marketplace for um, you know all of the uh, the properties um, there's also um you know at rental tenancy agreement on blockchain so that could be part of the larger ecosystem for citizens and residents of ua there are other interesting use cases as well within dubai uh which includes reconciliation and settlement um especially at a government level so the reconciliation across the governments used to take time it was an instant settlement so now you can have a near real time visibility on the revenue being generated at the government level across all you know 100 odd government departments um on the on the enterprise satellite uh you know that's one of our very ambitious moonshot projects where we did the project uh, uh launch announcement earlier this year in january and we have our launch happening uh on jan 21 2021 uh it's basically an enterprise blockchain uh and on a satellite which we're launching Uh, and the idea is to go extraterrestrial in terms of um you know the network so that we have more security in terms of you know uh how the network operates and you know you can think about any sort of uh, um extremely confidential or secure data that needs to be you know running on this network it could be healthcare data consumer data it could be private uh, individual document vault uh, we already have one of our partners um and blockchain uh, ecosystem companies which is called atromgate which is actually partnering with us so they'll be one of the networks that we're running um through this network yeah that's really impressive so so now uh, so passing from the blockchain in terms of ai as well so uh, on the areas of ai can you tell us a bit about because i think well especially the one of the space is really cutting edge because mostly there's thousands of satellites in space but what you're trying to do is is one that is certified with blockchain which is fantastic and i'm sure that there's a bridge between blockchain and ai so i would like to pass from that bridge because i think it's pretty important as well to demystify because when we speak about ai there's a lot of different areas of ai there's machine learning there's deep learning there's uh, well i can go for a lot of swarm intelligence and and we go for a lot but so how do you see ai in in your company and we touch a lot of blockchain with the in terms of ai and as well specifically some case studies that you can actually talk publicly uh i think we we're betting a lot on ai we have a separate wing which is completely focused on research and development in the field of ai um you know in in terms of our core specialties we focus more on uh, computer vision cognitive ai conversational tools building predictive models um we have a lot of you know we we kind of profess open source so a lot of interesting stuff that we do is available uh, as open source projects as well 
Um, so one of our own homegrown initiatives is a product that we call Emotix. Emotix is a computer vision product which can literally analyze any uh, video stream or video feed and analyze anomalies. Um, so this was actually an interesting project which we've actually got live running across around 220 plus um, you know, cameras in, in Abu Dhabi uh, in, in a convention center. And what we were able to do is to analyze demographics of people that's coming in and out. So that when you uh, do a facial identification without understanding the PII, just to deduplicate information inside the crowd. So basically looking at crowd analytics, there are a lot of interesting use cases. As a platform, it's capable of, you know, ANPR, uh, vehicle type detection, um, even contactless attendance. So we've got an implementation now in a university campus across three different locations to automatically uh, manage attendance tracking within classroom sessions. And it's now being adapted to online platforms as well, where you know, the teachers can easily understand uh, the attentiveness score or the engagement of uh, students. So this is a very interesting platform, which um, you know, has different use cases, even in terms of health and safety compliance on oil and gas, uh, oil rigs, etc. On the conversational side, uh, we've built more intelligent bots. It's, uh, we're calling it intelligent bots because it's, it's gone uh, beyond just being an NLP processor or a voice bot. We've actually coupled workflows um, such as an HR bot or uh, an insurance bot. So it takes the core aspects of you know, what a typical HR does and it tries to reduce the kind of uh, communication or the back and forth in terms of transactional queries. So an employee can now make a request to apply for leave uh, understand what's his leave balance by typically, uh, you know, conversing with a simple chatbot. Uh, so these are the kinds of conversational bots that we built for NASA. Again, it was more of a conversational bot, uh, which basically builds on, uh, you know, all the data sets that they have, uh, you know, from, from existing web as well as other journals and media. Um, so we're seeing massive adoption now because, you know, customer service, uh, as an aspect which you know most companies are looking at, they have an NPS and customer happiness score which we are, they're more concerned about now, and they're trying to automate a lot of these tasks. So I think that's that's one area that we're seeing. Um, besides that, there's there's a lot of other interesting stuff as well uh, that we're doing. More of our moonshot projects. Uh, some of them I can't uh, talk about right now. It's in the healthcare domain. Um, we're looking to kind of advance some of the. Uh, vaccine research using AI. We are also looking at how we can actually help, uh, you know, kind of take forward uh, human capabilities using artificial intelligence. Oh, and there good. is a mix, like when you mentioned about the in, uh, kind of culmination of, you know, blockchain and AI, um, you know, there is an interesting project that we worked on, especially which is looking at data. Um, so we, we worked on an uh, interesting initiative with the government basically to look at a data marketplace. Um, and it's, it's essentially a platform which helps uh, entities and organizations to uh, trade data as well as monetize the data, which is the new oil, while ensuring data authenticity as well as uh, security. So we don't want misuse of information. There could be different types of data, secret data, private data, and open data. And we want to make sure that, you know, any sort of data streams or any sort of data that's being utilized, especially at a city or, a, you know, nationwide level, 
is highly secure and it protects or takes into account the interest and the privacy requirements of the soil as well as of the individuals. So this is a platform that is again built on blockchain, decentralized, but where AI comes in is because it actually takes into consideration what kind of data exists and uh, you know, how you can actually utilize that data. So uh, it's, it's, we're trying to make it easier for data scientists, data engineers to work on data. It's, it's got its own tools built in that can actually help uh, make sense of data and you know, build interesting data, data, sets, data sets and data models. So I want to touch that part uh, and we, we're passing one hour, but I still, if you have a bit more of time, at least one or two more questions, but this one in particular. So when you touch on this data, and this is particularly important and especially for platforms like Cities ABC, but I think for everything in the world, because it's all about the interoperability of data and as well, making sure that the data is coming from the right source. And at the moment, one of the things we have and going a bit more technical is that we have all these massive sources from the World Health Organization, especially in the COVID-19, to the John Hopkins Hospital, to the, uh, all the governments have their own data. And then we have the United Nations data and we have all these different things. But one of the challenges that we have is that this data is not flowing. Okay? And what happens is that if you look at most of the media worldwide, we're having media just bombarding us, most of it with fake news or at least with very lack of data, or, uh, even basic data, because I think we have enough scientific uh, and the research capacity to at least get a bit of better communication between us. But of course, politicians try to use this in not necessarily the best ways, at least in some countries. So um, that part that you work on, this interoperability of data and as well the crossroad of data from different sources, how do you see this? Because I think this is kind of um, what is the crossroad of AI. And I think for us, you have people like... Uh, Ben Gorsel that I actually interviewed recently and, and other different uh, scientists or even Elon Musk. So in one end, we have people that see like data being like the singularity or at least open data that all the data will learn with itself. Or then we have a bit more of a Elon Musk version of the vision that is a bit more dysfunctional and more radical. And probably I'm, although I want to be more with Ben, I think I'm more with Elon Musk because I think if, of course, uh, we have to look at reality and the reality, even what Arari, Professor already mentioned in his last book is that we're going to have a bit like colonization through data. So I know that is a sensitive talk. I don't want to go too much on this, on the political side, but more on the technology side. So how do you see this um, being used in a good way, of course, and in the best ethical way, because of course it's always sensitive because if you are in a country, you have to go through the rules of that country and you can actually blame one person, but you, in the end of the day, have to follow rules. So, and as well, there's the, the European AI Alliance. There's a lot of GDPR rules, but in the end of the day, this is just in Europe. The rest of the world, there's no rules on this and, and we are actually getting a bit of a wild west. Um, so I would like to hear that part from a, a constructor of technology and as well interoperability of this data, but as well from all the different areas that come out of this. Um, there, there's definitely a lot of uh, interesting things. So I think we're basically talking about data governance and ethics in data. Um, and, you know, it comes to how, what are the policies behind implementing this and how do you actually uh, define how data is being utilized? And that's a core as aspect of, you know, architecting a solution. Um, 
you know, so we, we've had, uh, you know, very interesting discussions, both at the government level and the enterprise level in terms of how do you construct a solution that actually, um, you know, allows complete audit trail of, of, you know, how, what kind of data is being acquired, how the data is being utilized and how is it actually being, um, you know, um, modified in any form or manner. So um, I'm also pretty much aligned with, you know, like you said, Elon Musk, there's, there's, uh, a lot of interesting things that you can do with data, but I think there's a long way to go because especially if you look at government data or even open data, there's, uh, you know, unlabeled data sets, uh, a lot of data that does not, uh, um, you know, qualify of, of, you know, for actually making any inferential information or, you know, building proper data models. And that's, that's a big challenge with AI. Building an AI model, you need good quality data sets and large volume of those data sets. There's a lot of good that can be done. There's a lot of, um, you know, negative things that can also be done. I think government and governance actually plays a key role there. I, I think it's, it's not just a technology solution to combat that problem. Where can people uh, find you and uh, read about some of your thoughts and different things and about, about as well about the Ecovid's main links? Um, I'm reachable uh, on Twitter at Shamir Taha. Uh, also, my LinkedIn profile uh, is available. Uh, you can just Google me up on Shamir Taha and uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, available to have a chat anytime. Very good. And I know that you're doing as well some master classes and some things. Do you want to talk about that just a bit top level and the last, as the last minute? So uh, as Acubits, we are uh, looking at kind of evangelizing some of these technologies through educational programs. Um, we have webinars coming up as well, uh, basically, you know, trying to link different societal and economic and, you know, other aspects to how technology can actually solve them. So it's, it's not just a tech thing. So we, we truly believe that uh, technology can really help some of these problems. So the webinar and, and series that we are looking at is basically focusing on that. So we'll have industry and thought leaders from different domains uh, giving different perspectives exactly like what uh, you're doing Dennis. very good well thank you so much it's been a, a huge pleasure thank you and uh, we'll continue talking probably in the next future 